Merkel Media. We can talk. The, uh, the FBI didn't get all the gold at Dan Trump. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, we we can we can talk about this in part two if you Ladies, want. Yes. Agent Archer, Agent Archer on site said to me, "Denny, you're staring up at that mount. What are you looking at?" I said, there's another cave up here with just as much gold. He goes, where is it? I said, Jake, you screw me on this one. You won't get the other one. And since the last three years, we've been keeping our mouth shut. Wow. Okay. We are. We plan on going back this spring. Yeah. So this whole thing's going to happen again. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long, bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow this head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. And if you want more shows on a weekly basis, just go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the join button and become a member because there you'll get access to bonus shows every Thursday on the website and the app. Plus, Tuesday shows are ad-free and you get access to the overtime shows when they are available. So if that interests you, head on over to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member. Also, go ahead and check out preparewiththeconfessionals.com. That's called preparewiththeconfessionals.com. There you can get yourself emergency supply food and survival gear. The food will last you up to 25 years on the shelf. And friends, we're living in a world where things are a little uncertain, especially what's in the grocery store. Make sure you and your family are good to go in case of an emergency where you always will have food for the ones you love most at preparewiththeconfessionals.com. And while we're marching around the internet, march on over to YouTube and hit subscribe if you haven't done so already. This time next year, I plan on hitting 50,000 subscribers on YouTube, friends. So help me get there by going to The Confessionals on YouTube and hitting subscribe. I'm planning a lot of cool things. Storytelling on that channel, plus a live call-in show where we do voicemail call-ins, a whole thing, and much more. Thank you very much for doing that, friends. Subscribing to YouTube, The Confessionals on YouTube. A lot of cool stuff coming. 
And last but not least, who saw the men in black? Who saw the men in black is a documentary that I was a narrator on and it is available on Amazon and other places. But if you are on Amazon, go ahead and check it out. Watch it and leave a happy five star rating and review to help support your boy. So if you're interested in the men in black, if you're interested in things that I do outside the confessionals, you might like who saw the men in black because I was a narrator on that. So you'll recognize the voice, obviously. Now this week we have Kem and Den coming on the show. They are a father son duo, treasure hunting duo. And I'm really excited about talking to them about their treasure hunting journey because I've been aware of their story for quite some time. I'm finally talking to them, but their story is one for the ages because they located a lost old treasure from the Civil War, and they actually went through the proper channels to try uncovering this treasure. I'm talking mountains of gold. And they, the way they found the lost treasure was very interesting. It has a paranormal angle to it. And then we have the conspiratorial angle because there's a big cover-up because somebody stole the freaking gold. And I'm going to let these guys tell you all about it right now. All right, today we got a great show planned for everybody. We have Kem and Dennis coming here from Finders Keepers USA. How you guys doing? Hey, pretty good. Doing good. Guys, listen, uh, we just got done talking a little bit here, and I, I, I'm really having a hard time cont- containing my excitement because uh, I, I told, like I told you guys, treasure hunting is something that I have been uh, very fascinated with from a very young age, and it's just something that. Uh, I'm recently starting to get back into as far as like just reading about different lost treasures, legends, and things like that. And uh, you guys are legit, 100% real deal treasure hunters. And uh, this is a generational thing because Kem, you're Dennis's son, and uh, Dennis, you've been doing this for a long time, and you guys are the focal point in my mind of a real deal lost treasure that was found. And there's a conspiracy right now going on about it. And uh, dare I say, a cover up of what's going on. And so I, when I when I stumbled across your, your stuff, guys, I had to have you on. And I'm so excited you're here. And so what we're going to do is I want to just start off from the beginning of this, the, the, the legend of the gold at Dent's Run. How did it get there? Why was it there? What what was going on? And then we'll transition into uh, Dennis and how you got involved in looking for this and how you found Dense Run, uh, because there's a real paranormal angle with that. And I think the audience is going to be very interested in. And then we'll fast forward to Kem and how he kind of revived the search for this and how the FBI got involved and all that stuff. So uh, if you guys want, I don't care who wants to go, if it's Dennis or whatever, but how, what is the legend of this lost gold and why did you even think it existed? Go ahead. What was it? Back in 1860, 63? 1860s, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, the, the the magazine came out in 1974, and uh, it, it was the first uh, public uh, publishing that, that talked about this gold shipment. Uh, there's Nobody's found anything before that, but I guess the, uh, the wagon train of gold was uh, down in Virginia. Uh, it came by train from California to Virginia. The War of uh, 
Gettysburg. Gettysburg was about to happen. And instead of going straight across uh, Pennsylvania to the Philadelphia Mint, they decided to do it on a wagon train and go up north, come down through uh, Pennsylvania to Gettysburg or to uh, Philadelphia. And just, uh, a, just a big enough arch through Pennsylvania to avoid the Battle of Gettysburg breaking out. And it just disappeared, hijacked. They didn't know what happened to it. You know, the story was well, after they left St. Mary's, it was two wagons with false bottoms, 26 bars of gold in each wagon. So that's 52 bars of gold. None of the soldiers knew about the gold except for the lieutenant, Castleton. Castleton. And at the time, they had a civilian guide with them known as Connors and all the reports that's always ever known as. And around St. Mary's, Castleton got sick. And he started talking and he knew he wasn't going to make the, the trip the whole way through. And he started telling everybody, the soldiers about this, the gold and that the, the wagon train has to make it. And after that, after they left St. Mary's, they were never seen from again. Connor, until Connors, Connors. Yeah. Connors took over the, uh, the travel uh, arrangements, but Connors couldn't read or write. And that was a big problem. So he got lost up in the mountains. He couldn't follow maps. And uh, it's an interesting story. It really is. But yeah, they never got found. Not nobody. Well, a few weeks later, Connor staggered into Lock Haven. Yeah. And claimed that they were all ambushed and the gold was stolen and it was all just gone, taken off. And nobody ever found the gold. There were Pinkin Pinkerton um, soldiers. Agents. Agents. Pinkerton agents that were sent out disguised as lumberjacks and prospectors and hunters and stuff to look for the gold. And it was document they found half a bar here or half a bar there but they never actually found all the gold bars connors was sent out west to uh an indian reservation the reason they brought in the pinkerton uh the, the uh lincoln brought the pinkerton is because uh, they didn't believe the story about uh connors saying that the uh, copperheads which was a uh, southern group of people uh hijacked them the reason being there was 160, 130 to 160 people that lived in Denshua. And if you're in that mountain area, you can hear a mosquito fart 10 feet away. I mean, that is so quiet up there. If you had an, uh, two wagon loads with uh, 13 soldiers and they had guns and you're being ambushed by the copperheads, you look at another 13 guns, you're looking at 26 rifles being shot off, yet nobody heard anything. There was no sound. So if there was no sound, there had there couldn't have been any hijacking, as Connors has talked about. But uh, since the bars were cut up and certain things happened, they figured he hid it somewhere. And they kept him in the Army for the rest of his life till he died. Yeah. But now when he was out at the Indian Reservation out west, every time he got drunk, he used to brag. You may, he yeah. knew where the gold was buried. Yuma, Arizona, they shipped him to uh, out there, and he died at 1883, I think it was. He was buried there at the fort in Yuma. Then they shipped all the dead soldiers' bodies over to uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, and he's underneath it now. Wow. Wow. So uh, this legend of the gold, uh, I just re just let people know if they, if they haven't connected the dots yet, uh, I, I would call you a local, tre local, local treasure hunters to me. Uh, you're in Pennsylvania on the other side of the state, uh, but... Um, that this is also why I'm very fascinated by the story. I think because it is so close to me. But the, the, this is Civil War treasure that had to get to Philadelphia, or Phil, Civil War gold that should that had to get to Philadelphia. So they they arch up around Gettysburg, which means that they have to kind of go 
uh, into like northern PA, northern central PA to come back down into Philly just to avoid the the war and the fight. Uh, and the the gold gets lost. And you guys, uh, through you know just learning about the story, reading about it. And I guess it sounds like other people came to the same conclusion that, you know, this was actually stashed gold. It wasn't, you know, stolen or anything like that. And so the hunt was on for where this stashing happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, lost my train of thought there. <laughs> I was going with this. But, uh, you know, it was all kept quiet. You know, a lot of people don't know, but there was another gold shipment that went missing back then and this was that's why abraham lincoln kept this all quiet the uh the nine tons uh it's not just from one one shipment it's from many shipments it's a it's a depository which a lot of people never understood they said there's no way two wagons could have carried nine tons and they think we're nuts but the fbi was the one that came up with nine tons not us but this is many robberies in the uh pennsylvania area it's it's a cool series of stuff over a five year period, but wow. yeah, you know, I mean, just I mean, well, the fifty two bars of gold though from back then wasn't there a gold shipment? Well, it was a gold shipment that disappeared. Yeah, and what happened right after the, he arrived in uh, Lock Haven? Uh, President Lincoln sent out a uh, letter to uh, California to the governor out there. Uh, he was afraid that uh, if wind got if the public caught wind that we lost that much gold, like they did with the Atosha down there in, in, in the uh, ocean, uh, years before the Atosha sunk with so much gold, they almost bankrupt our country. Yeah, so they didn't want no more shipments going by ocean. They want them to come by train. But when he found out, uh, Lincoln found out that this shipment disappeared, he had to ask for uh, the governor uh, to assure how much more tons of gold he could be depending on in the next year or two because of the battle uh, with the South. And we got the letters coming back, how much the guarantees and the pledges were from the other the gold mines, which was quite a bit. But there was a lot of gold being shipped through, and a lot of it uh, didn't make it to the mint. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I was going with that. That's why there's not a lot of documentation and why everything was kept quiet for over 100 years. Well, yeah, well, they erased everything. Uh, they don't want nobody to know about this. Because they don't want to uh, bankrupt the country, so they uh, raced everything fast. But the bad thing is, uh, here in Clearfield, uh, there was the Inquisition, and the courthouse caught on fire, so those papers are gone. And uh, Ohio, the Pinkerton, Chicago burnt, and all their papers are gone. So it seems like there was no uh, with the with everybody trying to keep this thing hushed up. There was no nobody could find out the truth. Uh, but they weren't looking in the right place. So in 1974, all you had was this magazine article that you were going off of. Yep. And so 1974, you're reading up on this magazine article about this, trying to find out that some, you know, would, if it was a legit story, you know, if there's any facts to it. I decided to go after the uh, two Pinkerton guys. They They stayed there their entire lives. And I'm sure all their paperwork... And their files when they died in Benazet, uh, which is right next to Dentron, I figured their files had to go somewhere. I'm sure nobody just burned all these paperwork up. And I went to the archives and I hired people to go into the archives in Harrisburg and I got the real stories. And that's how I uh, started my search. And that's what the, the FBI uh, 
read all that paperwork and they went back and located each person I hired and I worked with and they backtracked that story to the very beginning. And that's why they ended up on that mountain too. We found the actual truth that the story was true. Wow. So, uh, before we get into this magazine and everything that happened from there, uh, are you saying that there's other legends then of lost treasure in PA from that time period that have still yet to be found that you believe is actually out there? Yes. Wow. Oh, yes. Wow. Uh, there's a there's a lot more. A lot. Okay. We'll get to that to the end. There's now. a lot. Try to do this in a chronological order so it okay. makes sense. <laughs> when when the uh, when they were heading this direction, the Confederate, you had banks uh, take money out of town and Altoona and places. Yeah, there everybody was stashing their gold in the ground. Yep. Jeez. Uh, you know, I was literally thinking about moving out of Pennsylvania, heading to Tennessee within the next year or so. I might be sticking around. I might actually just move out to your area and hang out with you guys for a few years. <laughs> Raise my kids with some treasure hunters, real treasure hunters. Um, listen, all right. So let's get back to this magazine article that you guys kind of hit, hit on. So, uh, Dennis, you... You were working and you and some of your friends, right? From what I understand, some of your friends were talking about this and kind of just brainstorming about where this treasure could be. And somebody came into the store that kind of helped you find it. Is that how this all worked? Well, on the weekends, we'd go out uh, with metal detectors, simple metal detectors, nothing special. And back in 1974, you didn't have much technology back then. Right. <laughs> and uh, we would just go to broken down camps and just look for nickel, dime, quarters, you know, beaches, simple stuff. But uh, I worked at W.T. Grants, which is more like a Walmart, and I was in the furniture department. And uh, one of my guys, or I bought a book, and it was a treasure hunting book. And on the front page, it's, uh, we have it downstairs, it showed this lost gold in Pennsylvania. Now, up until this point, you weren't allowed to own gold uh, from the World War II up until now. It was illegal because of, uh, they, I don't know, it's a long story there. But now I guess it was legal to own gold. And they said in there, there was a 10% reward out for anybody that could find the dench one lost gold. And uh, so we got into the reading the story on it. And it was just sitting on the table. A couple of days later, uh, a psyche came into dench run. We were told to WT Grants. Or WT Grants. And we were told to stay at our areas and sell furniture. And the, um, I don't know, I didn't believe in psychics. And I seen this guy off to the, front of the store and he was up high and uh, all the people were crowding around him using them as a promotional gig yeah promotion and he hit several many wt grants across the united states he was on tour and i uh, i didn't believe any of his stuff but when he got on his uh, lunch break whatever there he came down and walked directly to our furniture department and uh, he sat right down at the table we had where we wrote up our cells and there was like uh, five or six uh, salespeople around me and uh, I slipped behind Mike and the other guys were in front of Mike Mike now he's his name the psychic and uh, they they were talking to him not about treasure hunting at first it was just everything in general with his promotion and Mike reached over and grabbed the magazine it was laying on the table and he was paging through it and my one friend uh, uh, I can't think of his name either but he says, uh, have you ever tried to look up uh, treasure hunts or anything like that? And he says, no, mostly, you know, lost people, lost objects. But he says, I'll try the treasure hunt. And he opened up the pages and he was speed reading right through the magazine. 
because I'm behind. I can see all this going on. And I'm thinking, what a joke. This is ridiculous. And then he shut the magazine and uh, he tilted his head up a little bit. And his voices were coming out of his, his uh, mouth. And from what I can recall, it's like three different voices of uh, somebody talking. And I didn't realize it was at the uh, dead soldiers from the uh, Dentron gold shipment at the time. Uh, I heard him saying they're hungry, they're starving or something like that. They're lost. I don't know. I wish I could remember the whole conversation. Until uh, this day, I, I wish I could. I wasn't paying that much attention. And then when he came out of this trance that everybody was looking at him, uh, he came out of the trance and he grabbed my atlas that was there and he wanted an ink pen. And uh, so I stepped around to the front like everybody else. And I'm watching this guy. And he comes down with an ink pen. He's looking up at the, the ceiling and he comes down with this ink pen while he's looking up and he hits us, the uh, map, Atlas map. And he looks directly at me and he goes, Denny, I don't know how I knew my name. He said, I want you to go to this site and do certain things. So uh, we all looked at where he hit the map and damn, it was Dentron. And it was on the road right up on that hillside. And uh, that scared the crap out of me that he could do something like that. Uh, and I watched him. His eyes were in the back of his head. or No, his eyes were on the back of his head. It was, uh, he was looking up at the ceiling. And then he came right down, looked right at my eyes and hit that thing. There was no faking. That was uh, if it was luck, it was damn good luck. Um, he told us what to do, how to go up there and get some dirt samples, and we did from different mountain spots too, yeah. not all at yeah. one location. And I had a Corvette, '69 Corvette, and I went up this dirt road to the spot where he hit with the ink pen. And me and Chris, I think Chris Christopherson was his name, we got out of the vehicle. And we took our first dirt sample right there. We called dirt number five, dirt sample five. And then uh, we climbed up the mountain to the left on, uh, almost died climbing up there, took a dirt sample at the top, came back down. Then we drove up the dirt road and there was uh, clay trucks coming up and down. Uh, it was a construction site up ahead, a mining company. We get up there in the top and it's all mud and stuff. We took two dirt samples up there. Then we, one around and wherever you got them from you had the right one on the lid and put one on the map yeah and two and two so that you know where each dirt sample came from yeah now when i got home i decided to add three more to the list he only told me to take five but i end up with eight took them out of my dad's garden and these were in butter dishes uh the blue bonnet butter dishes with the white tops all were blue and uh Six, uh, seven, I don't know how, I, don't know how I got uh, that many blue butter dishes for that <laughs> period of time. I, have, I still to this day, I don't remember. But anyway, uh, when I got the the, uh, the the dirt, I called uh, Mike, and he was up at uh, WT Grants in uh, St. Mary's. So me and Chris drove in the Corvette, drove up there to meet him. I stayed in the parking lot. Chris went inside, brought him out. He came out, sat down in my vehicle. Mike then grabbed my hand. And uh, with his right hand, he grabbed my left hand. So he was sitting on the passenger seat with his feet out on the ground. Yeah. And the floorboard was to his left and you were standing here to his right. Yep. And that's where he grabbed. And he took his one hand and just waved it real quick over the floorboard, the passenger side floorboard. And he grabbed number uh, six, seven, and eight, put them on the ground. He said, these have nothing to do with this. By then, my heart was beating fast. But then he went back in the second time, did one quick swipe, and he picked out number five. And he says, Denny, you're within 500 feet of the gold. And I'm like, this is crazy. He set that down, asked for a piece of paper, 
I gave him a, a, a big sheet that I had. And he drew a map real quick. Says off to the left hand side where you stand, go back to number five. And when you're standing there off to the left, you'll see a hole in the mountain. And I go, what do you mean a hole? And he goes, There's a, there'll be a hole. He says, believe me, it'll be there in 12 degrees off to the right down on the other mountain you're on. He says, there'll be a cave. He says, uh, the gold is in underwater. It's in a cave and there's snakes. He says, you find the cave and you call me. So uh, two weeks later, we went up there looking around and uh, we couldn't find it. We couldn't find no cave. We, well, I, we found the hole. There was a clay mine up there and they had all these rocks piled up and I'll be damned. You could sit there and see a big hole right through the top of the mountain. Two rocks were stacked yeah. or something? Or? Yeah. But then maybe a couple of weeks later, those rocks were probably knocked, knocked down or something. I don't know. But how he would know those would have been there. Uh, it was amazing. Everything he told us was happening, but we couldn't find the cave. So we looked to DCNR. Talked to them about coal mines and all kind of stuff, and there was nothing in the area. So uh, I think we spent a couple of weeks and gave up. You can't find the cave. I got mad. So I talked about this gold hunt, how the psychic was so perfect on everything he did, and uh, how could he uh, be so wrong on the cave opening? And uh, it was about 30 years I kept, 20 some years I kept talking about it. My son was growing up, and uh, one day out back, uh, I own real estate, so I have runners. I was talking to one of my runners about this gold shipment. And he goes, can you find your way back up there? I go, yeah, I can find my way up there. I, I haven't been there in 20, 30 years, but I'll never forget that place. He says, you want to go up this weekend? I said, yeah, let's go up. So we drove up there. And I parked right where the number five dirt sample was. And uh, he said, no, what? I said, we go up this road. Uh, 500 feet, there's supposed to be a, a cave up here. So we're walking up the road, 500 feet, and we come to the dry riverbed. And that's the only one coming off that mountain. And that's that's a normal place where I always figured it had to be in, uh, for transportation up and down that mountain. But anyway, uh, we get to the 500-foot mark. And he goes, now what? Well, I said, well, there's supposed to be a cave here. I said, I said, there's two big rocks here. I, I wanted to check the upper one. He says, I'll check that one. I said, Scott, there's nothing down there. We've checked that a hundred times. If there's anything, it has to be up here. And he said, well, how far? I said, no, he said 500 feet. So we're, we've got to be right close to it. It has to be here someplace, Scott. He took off down to the big rock, down to the lower section, right next to the road. And he starts yelling at me. And he says, I found a cave. And I figured he's joking. Because you know, I, mean, I, I was up around how many times in the past. And he said, Denny, there's water coming out of the cave. And I go, no way, Scott. Don't, don't be doing this to me. Because I already climbed about 30, 40 feet up this embankment. I said, if I come down there, Scott. He said, Denny, I'm telling you, we've got a cave. So I come down and I'll be damned there was a cave there. Oh, man. Uh, you know, it wasn't there 30 years before. And what we didn't know, that was the... Uh, in 1969, five years before I did this, the clay mines came in, but they uh, took that trail. It was an Indian trail, uh, a Snooks trail, and they ran a bulldozer through there, and they put the road in. And when they put the road in, they pushed the dirt over the entrance of the cave, and they buried the entrance. So I go up three, four years after the road was put in. There's no cave. 
And it took 20, 30 years to slowly wash its way back out again. That's all it was. Yeah. Or I would have had this back in the 1974, 75. I would have had this. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It is. It's just, you know, you think after 20 some years, you'd give up and call quits, but just, just kept nodding at me and uh, draw me back. And then that's when my life changed, you know, because then I realized the psychic, uh, his prediction was 100%. And can I get a hold of this guy after 30 years? You know, that's where the, another adventure started, you know? Wow. So, are, all right. I don't want to jump the gun, but are you saying you did find him again? Yes, we did. Unbelievable. You guys are blowing my mind right now. So. <laughs> He's still with us. He's still working with us. He's yeah. still working with us and still making predictions to this day. 85 years old. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You guys. I'm so happy we're talking. All right. So where do we go from here? I mean, so you find the cave after 30 years of, you know, talking about it, you know, telling Cam about this legend and you finally find the cave. Where do we go from here? Go ahead, Cam. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's November 2004. And they come back and they said they found this cave. Like, okay. So he's like, I'm going back up. I'm going to take these dirt samples. I said, why? He's like, well, I'm going to see if I can find a psychic. Okay. So he goes back up, he gets some dirt samples. He comes back. He took them just like he was told to back in the seventies. And he's like, you know, he goes, I remember back when that psychic came into WT grants, it was around April. He goes, cause when we went up there to get the dirt samples, it was the first day of fish, the first day of fishing season. He goes, I missed the first day. So we go down to the local uh, newspaper place here, gets on the old real rail, you know, looking at the, the computer monitor with the, the real to real newspaper clippings from back then finds the original article advertising him back in 1974, coming to WT grants, gets his name from there. Mike Malley gets on the old wonderful internet, finds out that he was living in Southern Pennsylvania, gets his phone number, call this gentleman up <laughs> and he answers. what do he say? I was, I said, is this Mike Malley? He goes, yeah. And he goes, is this Danny Parada? No way. I go, what? Yeah. I go, are you kidding me? No. He goes, yeah. he, now, 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 granted, he might have had caller ID, but what if did he, he say? If he had but the thing is, I says, uh, is it is this Mike Malley? And he goes, yeah. He goes, is this Danny Parada? I go, you remember me? He goes, aren't you the one with the white Corvette? I'm like, wow, I haven't seen this guy in 30 years. I only met him twice in my entire life. W.T. Grants, W.T. Grants. Never talked to him in 30 years. And he came up. I mean, that just blew my mind. So then he says, what can I do for you? I said, Mike, I found the cave. He started laughing. He said, it took you 30 years to find the cave. <laughs> and he starts laughing. And then my life changed after that. Yeah. Yeah. He gave us some more predictions uh, because I did some more dirt samples. And he said the cave was uh, 32 feet long. And go back 32 feet. You'll find a vertical shaft. You'll see... Uh, snakes in there uh fall the uh sparkles of gold he's he's given us a whole bunch of predictions so we go back and uh me and kim go in there with our friend scott, scott farrell and we're laying in ice water it's running down her back and we're we're slowly tunneling back i mean to give you a perspective on the cave it was only like two and a half feet of clearance from the ground to the i mean it's, it's a boulder and we're going back underneath this boulder so there's only two and a half feet of clearance and about 25 feet width 
yeah, at the yeah, time, you yeah, know? Yeah. So we're just tunneling back. And he said, just go straight back, straight back. So we're in there. We're using an old turkey roasting pan. You know, we have ropes tied to either end of it. Somebody's in there laying on their side, digging with an army shovel, putting the dirt in the turkey pan. The guy outside's pulling the rope, pulls it out, dumps it. We pull it back in. We, you know, it was a tedious, long process. But see, we're only, uh, when we got in there, it was only 15 feet to the back wall. Yes. And uh, he said to go 32 feet back and it'd be a vertical shaft. And I said, well, there is no vertical shaft. I mean, the, there's no air blowing through this place. How could it be? A... So these guys were getting pissed off. And uh, I was laying on my back. They're getting ready to quit for good. I'm laying on my back. I have a candles or flashlights. Water's running down my back, ice water. And it's in Christmas time, winter. And I'm looking up the ceiling and I see the charcoal, the moss uh, on the ceiling was burnt crispy. It was charcoal, just burnt. And then I realized the smoke went, the flames like went to the back of the cave. So I'm yelling to the guys, get in here, get in here. So they came in, they says, I'll be damned. Somebody had a torch in here and they burnt the ceiling. There was chisel marks in this roof too. Yeah, so you can, see, you can see where they had a, uh, the end of the uh, torch went into the ceiling and the, but the thing is, the smoke went to the back of the cave. Now, how can that happen? So I lit a uh, fire, and the smoke filled up in the cave, and we go choking out. Kim goes back to the back part, the 15-foot mark, and he yells, Dad, there's another burn mark back here. So I crawl back, and I look, and I go, I'll be damned. Now, that was the high point. The cave has like a hump in the middle where the water is always running, and that's where these uh, burn marks were up high. And I said, well, how can the smoke go to the back of the cave? So Kim starts digging on the back of the wall of the cave. And tell me what you, you find. No, just digging in the back wall there and eventually uh, start to uncover a man-made wall. Flat rocks stacked up and the whole length of the whole width of the cave. Unbelievable. We pulled the, the wall down and there was another room behind that wall. Wow. While Kim is digging into this dirt. Topsoil. Topsoil. Because he sees another room back there, and these porcupines were going in and out, you know. But uh, he sees another room. He says, Dad, there's a room here. And he's digging with his hands. And tell him what you find. Oh, there. Yeah, digging through this. I mean, it was real soft dirt. I mean, it wasn't like clay or anything. I mean, this was it was put there, you know, recently within the last hundred some years. And I'm digging and pulling all this dirt out. And there's earthworms. I'm finding earthworms inside this. Night bulbs. Microbes, big ones. And I, I looked at him, I said, oh my God, snakes, baby snakes. The psychic said, baby snakes will lead you to the gold. Wow. This was in December. We're finding night crawlers in the middle of a cave with ice. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. So but when we got that far, the psychic part of his prediction, light a candle, stick it in room number two, and the sparkles of gold will lead you to the gold. So he, this, this is the same time we're doing all this. He puts his candle in there, the back wall, about two feet wide, the whole way up and down, it lit up like sparkles of gold. We're yelling and screaming. I mean, everybody's running in there. And then we find out it's big water droplets of water. But it's only right in one section. It's no other place. And he said, the sparkles of gold will lead you to the gold. He didn't say the gold will lead you to it. It was right. sparkles. So uh, we had to work our way back to that next wall. And guess what? We found another man-made wall. It took us a year or two to get all that clay out, if your erosion and stuff. 
we found more burn marks on the ceilings. When we got to the second wall and started knocking it down, we found the vertical shaft where all the smoke in the air used to go up years ago, hundred and some years ago. When I realized that the psychic predicted 32 feet back, there'd be a vertical shaft big enough for a human to climb through. And we found it. Jesus. I mean, that my life had changed at that point. This guy was perfect. Absolutely. You guys are taking me down an emotional roller coaster right now. This is amazing. <laughs> You'd have to leave the, live the story that we live. I mean, there's a lot we're forgetting behind all this, but it's an absolutely amazing story. How somebody can, uh, well, supposedly he connects with the dead. Uh, he's not a psychic as much as he is a performer. Performer. He prefers the term performer. Yeah, it's it's uh, something he doesn't go into. He gets this thing happens to him, and uh, he doesn't like to see uh, predict people's death and stuff like that. He he's predicted some people's death. I won't get into all that stuff right now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's nothing he really wanted to do. But when the gold, we asked him about the gold in Dench Run, this energy came to him, and he figured he'd go along with it because it's not predicting somebody's death or nothing. And uh, that's the only reason he got into this. And uh, uh, he figured if, since I didn't call him after 30 years, that his abilities to find treasure and communicate that way was didn't work. Wow. So he never did anymore. So he never did anymore. Well, Until I, we looked yeah, him up again. Then that's when he started getting interested. And we did uh, a couple more treasure hunts like that. And it's just, it's just mind-blowing. The guy, what he did is just mind-blowing. I mean, it, a treasure hunt for us, two weeks we find the location. We had confirmed what we're looking for. And then we start another one, two weeks, bam, we're there. I mean, it was easy. Yeah. That's, we got a bunch of them. <laughs> that's incredible. So, I mean, so you're, you're working with him today, which is amazing to me. I think that's amazing. I didn't know that, that this guy was still part of the picture. Uh, yeah. And he's helping you find these locations. So you're saying that you've, you've been finding other lost treasures and stuff, and he's been aiding in that, that search. Uh, some of them, not all. He quit after a certain time because uh, he felt like he, um, since there was no uh, gold coming out of these sites, no treasures, uh, he don't want me to, how can I say? A lot of them are on state game land, so we're prohibited from digging. Okay. He, so that's why there's nothing coming up out of them is because we're kind of stuck. He was afraid somebody would get bit by a rattlesnake. Somebody would die on one of these adventures. Or that uh, my 30-year quest, I'd go financially broke. He says, Denny, until I see money coming out of the ground and my hunts are real, I don't want to do any more of these because I'm afraid somebody's going to get hurt. And I, I agreed with them. So we moved on with some other psychics. And we're up in Canada. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's amazing what we do. If it, yeah, totally if it works, it works, you know? <laughs> it works. I don't know how it works. But, you know. People say, I, I don't know how a psychic works, but I don't know how a cell phone works. And I use it in a microwave, so it works. You know, what the heck? Yeah. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. That's that's amazing. So, all right. Does he know? I mean, have you? Are, do you still talk to him? I mean, does he know about the, the next part of the story? Or I, mean, I don't know if it's the next part. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. does that inspire him at all to say, okay, let's, let's do it? I mean, we, there's money that came out of the ground. It's just it was stolen from you, in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, we're, we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, he's, uh, but no, I mean, yeah, the whole point was look for gold and to prove the psychic was a fake. And it's all true. 
I mean, if this guy can actually communicate, he had to communicate with somebody. He's a hundred percent correct on the, on the dench one thing. I don't know how he's doing it. Uh, nobody could be in that cave. It was sealed up two rooms with all that dirt and the walls. How could he know there was a 35 foot uh, shaft back there and stuff? It was amazing. But anyways, we keep working and going our way back here. We get to an area of the cave 35 feet back where the uh, it's dangerous now. We're not under a solid stone. It's We're beyond the border. We're beyond where the road is, and now it's caving in, and it's dangerous. So, so what we didn't know was when that bulldozer came through in 1970 or 69, they actually caved in. The bulldozer fell into the cave and collapsed, and they pulled it out, and they backfilled the area. Had they seen the gold, they would have grabbed all the gold in 1969, but somehow the the back, the bulldozer fell in, they backfilled. So now we're in that area, and it's too dangerous. We put up a lot of iron braces. We go back another 10, 12 feet underground, and I decided to call quits. It's too dangerous. We see uh, this gray clay going straight back. We see this black uh, uh, rocks bleeding out of the clay. And we're taking samples, and they said the uh, uh, sent them up to the Mahaffey Labs. They said it was pig iron bleeding out of the ground, and I go pig iron. They go that's changing the clay from tan to a gray, and the rocks are being turned black. You have pig iron, so I called the state up DCNR because we're working with them, and Ted Bariski told me if you got a black streak, it's pig iron. That's before the Civil War. If it's reddish, you got iron steel, and that would be red rust. He says, Denny, you got something in there that's old. I said, well, I'm done working in that cave. Somebody's going to die. I'm shutting it down. So uh, they actually came to the site, DCNR, and took us up above and said, why don't you drill down into the cave? They showed us how to do the drilling. Wow. So we did that for two years. We're only allowed to use a certain diameter. As a three-quarter inch masonry bit, very, very small. Now you're trying to drill down twenty feet, or not twenty feet, but 15, 15, 12, 15, 15 feet. feet. The slightest angle would throw you off, you know, from your target. So it took forever. But um, I would like to go back though and say, all this time of trying to prove that this gold shipment happened, you're calling the Smithsonian National Archives, all this other stuff, and everybody. What, what were they saying? That You know, the National Archives in Washington, when I called them, a lady answered. And uh, I said to her, I says, I'm calling about this gold shipment, uh, lost gold shipment in Dentron up in Pennsylvania. And she goes, sir, hold on. There's somebody here that knows more about that. And I never got the guy's name. I, till this day, it's, I wish they remembered that. He comes on. He goes, uh, I asked him what I told him what I wanted. He goes, the official word we are to tell you treasure hunters is that it never happened. There's no lost gold. Don't waste your time. And I go, okay. I said, well, thank you, sir. Thank you. He goes, good luck. I hope you find it. I go, whoa, 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 wait wait a second. What are you saying? Good luck. I hope you find it. He says, you're not listening to me. The official word we are to tell you guys, (laughs) it never happened and it doesn't exist and don't waste your time. I go, I got you, buddy. Thank you. Till this day, I wish I knew who he was. And it's things like that we keep hearing that it's a cover-up. We keep hearing more and more, uh, they're, they're staring people away. Files are being destroyed and stuff like that. And 
that made me want to push more into this here. Yes. So, so yes. So we're talking, we're opening off at DC and everything because it is on state game land and it's illegal to dig on state game land. But, you know, through the powerful loopholes, you know, we were able to drill down from the top. The agreement was, you know, nothing bigger than a three quarter inch drill bit. So that way we couldn't actually reach down and steal the gold or anything. They want us to drill down, uh, open up the, the void or hit the gold or something, you know, use snake cameras, got a proof that it was there. Uh, we weren't allowed to use commercial grade equipment. It all had to be just basic stuff that you could buy at Lowe's, hammer drills, generators, stuff like that. We would go into Lowe's, we would get these mason bits, and then we would take them to the local uh, fabrication shop here, T&D Fabricating here in Clearfield. They would custom make shafts and weld these bits on them. So we had 15-foot shafts. Oh, we, yeah. We had from 4-foot to 6-foot to 8-foot to 10-foot to 12-foot. Every 2-foot. Uh, we had so many drill bits. I had thousands of dollars worth of drill bits made. But when you start off with the 3-foot bit, then you drill down 3 feet. Then you switch it over to a 5-foot and then go down two more. Then you keep switching to a bigger one. But uh, then we had to switch from that to ma- to uh, core bits, to uh, well, iron yeah. bits. And, oh, geez, we had so many bits. We had thousands of dollars worth of equipment in that hillside buried under leaves for oh. years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We would leave our generators up there, staked down to the ground, you know, uh, chains, locks, you know, st- stuff up there. We had drill bits, camouflage. You know, we left it all there. We had trail cameras up. DCNR would come by and, and see what we're doing. They're fully aware. They're, they're the ones that told us to do it. But there came to a point where I... I kept telling them, I don't. I, I know where the silver's at. I've been drilling right around the silver, but I didn't want to go over to the gold area and drill into it. Now you said that, though. We were kind of confused on the silver readings. You know, at this point, we were bringing up regular bounty hunter metal detectors. We, you know, purchased a long uh, ground penetrating locator, GPL for short. We have uh, the Trumbisky brothers from Philadelphia that were working with us. They had long range locators. We've got, we hired ground radar. You know multiple different pieces of treasure hunting treasure detecting equipment that we had there over the course of 10 12 years and everything pinpointed gold and silver in these locations which threw us off because like what's the silver reading you know there's just supposed to be gold here yeah we did but we were tracking down the the um blackbeard silver seven and a half tons we know it made it from renova up to emporium and then it disappeared in emporium but Emporium was a straight shot. It was like uh, 11 miles to Dentron uh, through the straight shot through the woods. And I figured uh, both sites were uh, Indians. And I thought the Indians brought all the silver into Dentron. And who knows? I don't know. I figured seven and a half tons because there's Indian skeletons in Dentron Cave and all kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, I'm drawing down one day. I, I told him I didn't want to draw into the gold because it's a million dollars of historical. Each bar is a million dollars. And I drilled down with the masonry bit and I come up and it's got all gold co- coatings on the tip of it. And I'm like, wow. So I called the state. They came up. They said I could have faked it. I go, what? They go, Denny, you could have faked this. Uh, somehow put the gold on this drill bit. We want to see a chunk of gold come out of the ground. And if you uh, fake that, we keep the gold. <laughs> I said, well, you have to let me use a uh, core bit. He goes, you can go two and a half inches. I go, okay, uh, you got it. I, I said, I'm going to shut down for a couple a week to get these core bits made up. 
and then we'll be back on the project. I went back three days later to get some tools and somebody was tearing up our site. What? And I got pissed. And from a distance, I called the state police and everything. Didn't know who it was. And here was DCNR. Okay, everybody, let's take a second and talk about our sponsor for today's show, which is HelloFresh. Friends, I love them. I freaking love them. Let me tell you something. Before HelloFresh kind of came into the Merkle Tribe household, there was a lot of times that we'd be like, what do you want to do for dinner? This? No, it takes too long. This, that, and the other. It always came down to this. It took too long. Don't feel like making crazy dishes, that kind of thing. And so what we wind up doing is going to the grocery store and buying some sushi because sushi is a soft spot here. We love sushi and we would wind up buying sushi at least once or twice a week. And that stuff piles up. It's expensive. Not with HelloFresh because HelloFresh makes it easy with all the recipes and ingredients shipped right to your front door. And they have over 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including vegetarian, calorie smart and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. Ingredients travel from the farm to your front door within a week. That's huge, friends. That's huge. How many people think that the grocery store, that the food you're getting from the grocery store, the food that you're getting off the shelf that are vegetables, meats, all came from the farm within a week? Yeah, right. Okay, well, HelloFresh, that's the case. Ingredients travel from the farm to your door within a week so you get the convenience without skipping on quality. Plus, skip trips to the grocery store and avoid the long lines, which was crazy this past holiday weekend with uh, Thanksgiving a couple weekends ago. My Lord, I went into the grocery store just to pick up a couple things, some vitamin C because we were all sick and the lines were through the freaking door. I was unbelievable. I was like, you got to be kidding me. All I wanted is some medicine. It was crazy. Anyways, I get distracted. Go on over to HelloFresh.com slash Confessionals14 and use code Confessionals14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. It's the giving season and HelloFresh is not only giving you 14 free meals, but they're also giving you, ho, 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 three free gifts. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Confessionals14 and use code Confessionals14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. Go now. So before we go any further, I, I didn't realize this. These, they they came in to tear up your site and this isn't even, we didn't even get to the FBI part. So, right. so we have other government agencies interfering and trying to cover up this this hunt that you're on. There's a lot more government agencies. Wow. I'm not going to get into all of them, but there's a lot more behind this. Okay. Jeez. Now, as far as the whole DCNR statement, we don't know if it was the agency or if it was a few rogue employees yeah. that had this information that went and did it. But I had the head agent for DCNR and I had uh, Ted Bariski, the mineral guy out of Harrisburg on site, showed him exactly where I hit the gold with my drill bit. Then I showed him my hidden cameras which they were three feet away. They still couldn't see these hidden cameras. I had three of them there. When I went back later, all my cameras were missing. They were there for years. Nobody could find them. Here I show them to DCNR, and three days later, my cameras are missing, and somebody dug right where I showed DCNR that there was this hole in the ground. The guy down below, the landowner, told me he believed it was uh, employees of DCNR, and uh, everything points to them 100%. 
So we've been in a like a small court battle for one. Then they threw us off the site. That's yeah. whenever they requested us or they ordered us to vacate the premises and we weren't allowed to do any more work there. But after that, uh, there's two more times DCNR came up and they took some of our equipment. Uh, we had stuff missing at times and my cameras caught them, kept it, actually pulling my equipment off the site. And then they denied it. And then I'd show it to the attorneys and the state police and they're like, this is ridiculous. I mean, they're they're carrying your stuff right off the mountain, and uh, I never got it back. Yeah, so you don't do that to the gas well workers or anything. Yeah. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question real quick before we go any further. Um, what is your thoughts as to why they are, are are messing with you like this? I mean, is the is it just simply that they don't want people finding this treasure that's outside of the government, or is there something maybe more sinister? I mean, you guys have had time to think about this. Why do you think that? that they are because i mean they, they didn't pull it all out of the ground like the fbi did i'm not trying to spoil the story here but they they, they why are they messing with you uh, because they screwed up the uh, laws have never changed in pennsylvania there is no treasure hunting law it dates back to 1860s the treasure hunting law then is called finders keepers the finder gets half the landowner gets half that's what still stands for in Pennsylvania right now. They still haven't changed it. Either the finder gets half or the person that it was taken from, a bank or something, they get the other half. And then the landowner gets nothing. It's a three-way shot there. Now, up until we found the gold, that was the standard law. We didn't sign any contracts or any uh, agreements with the state. So we fall under finder's keeper's law. Now, if we... Uh, do find the gold, and there was uh, 26 bars, uh, we thought then, half of it would belong to us, and the state could see the other half. But if they could get us out of the picture, they get to keep it all. Um, Makes sense. Now, somebody, somebody did some diggings at the site. Remember I told you I seen people digging uh, when I went back three days later? I saw them digging one hole but there were, we found out later there was three more holes dug on that road. Somebody put metal objects down in the road, piles of metal in a straight line. I didn't know this until the FBI came up. But somebody did that to throw all my gold readings off. That if I go back with the news people, it would be iron, 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 iron. Make me look like an idiot. I've been there for 13 years. I never had an iron reading anywhere in 13 years when i went back after that i, I blamed dcnr for what they did i had iron readings iron readings iron readings after that yeah so i uh now i know dcnr and everybody says you know about the digging permits we tried to get bonds and digging permits yeah they they gave us a bond they, especially for us that we could not get bonded we tried everything and they uh they wouldn't make the correction there was no time limit to the end of the bond. They could keep the money for indefinitely. And if a bond company put up a half million dollars, they could hold it for 10, 20, 30 years. There was no time limit on the end. And they wouldn't put one there. Normally, when you're done with the project within so many months, the state signs off and okay, you know, with, and then you, the bond is released. They wouldn't do that in this case. So they gave me a bond. I still have it. And I could not get nobody to bond it for us. So, uh, so we tried everything legally to what we could do and nothing. And then we were told to vacate the property. 
we vacated and we were kind of uh, at a standstill. And in those years, we ventured up to Nova Scotia and branched out to other portions of the country. We had 30 days to vacate after I accused the DCNR and all that stuff of drilling and digging up our site. So in that 30 days, I already had the core bits made up. And I told the attorney, I'm going to do everything I can in 30 days before I walk off here to hit that damn stuff. And we drilled down. We got our drill bit stuck into a metal object. Then we drilled off to the left of it, and we hit cast iron three times. And the, the drill bit was in six-inch steps in the three different holes. And we believe they were cast iron containers. We couldn't drill through them, but we could take a, a, a steel bar and a sledgehammer. And on three hits, one, two, three, that, uh, that bar would drop down uh, six inches. Then we went to the other hole, hit it three times, and that bar went down three inches. So we know we broke through some kind of a cast iron container, uh, three of those. And then when we got to the gold, we got the drill bit stuck. It took us two and a half days to get it out of the damn thing. Uh, we have a full video of all this stuff. We have videotaped all the what went on in the cave. Everything went outside the cave. We have DCNR footage of DCNR many times. We have everything videotaped. Wow. We have many cameras running for 13 years up there. And we got everything. But, uh, yeah, we actually got uh, thrown off at the end. And then everything got quiet through the courts and stuff. And then, then we went to the FBI after about three years, I think it was. No. Was it longer than that? Yeah, it was longer. Yeah, we, went, we decided to get the hell out of United States and go to Canada. And we started up there and did TV shows for History Channel and stuff. And then... Uh, things drifted back this way yeah. yeah and then uh one day out of the blue gentleman named warren getler gets in touch with us and says hey i'm this author with bob brewer about uh rebel gold. rebel gold he goes i read up on your battle with dcnr and you know dench run he goes i think what your site is is a kgc knights of the golden circle cache treasure trove and we're like, what are you talking about? Like, we didn't know anything about the yeah. KGC. Wow. And he explains, and he explains that the KGC, the Knights of the Golden Circle, were Southern sympathizers who would like the South would rise again kind of thing. And that they did operate here in the North. And that what they did, I mean, there's a TV shows out there about them where they, you know, Jesse, Jesse James, James yeah. is a member. He was a famous outlaw. He did all these robberies, bank right, but he never had any money. And you believe that he took all those lootings and robberies and stuff and cat tra- uh, hit them all over the north here. And Booth, the one assassinated um, Kennedy. Or uh, Lincoln. Lincoln, yeah. He was in on stuff like that. And that uh, John Wilkes Booth was a member of the KGC, and that's why he was ordered to assassinate uh, Abraham Lincoln. But then there's a lot more members to this organization. But he goes, I think that your dense run site is a treasure trove, one of their hiding spots. And we started thinking about it. Well, that might be right. Maybe that's where the silver came from, too. And he says, Mr. Gettler says, what would it take to get you back on this property, on the land, and to get this done? We're like, well, the only thing that we can do is override the state, go to the federal government. It's supposed to be federal property. Get them to override the state and get us back on there. And he says, all right, he goes, I'm going to get you in a, a meeting with the FBI. We, we laughed like we, we've tried we've tried they we just keep getting you know, laughed at it's kind of like uh in the movie national treasure 
Yes. When Nicholas Cage and them, they go and try to prove that they found this treasure and everything. And they laugh and say, oh, did you find Bigfoot too? You know, it's kind of like, you know, we were laughed at for years. So we're like, all right, buddy, you know, we're thinking this guy's a, a few bricks shy of a load. You know, we get people like that contacting us all the time. And uh, he calls back within 24, 48 hours and says, I got you in a meeting next week with the FBI down in Philadelphia. <laughs> we're like, no way. He goes, no. We're like, this guy's got his connections or something. He's well known. So we make this arrangement to drive down to Philadelphia. And it's January 26, 2018. And we drive down there. We meet Mr. Gettler on a street corner. And we go inside this restaurant. And we're talking with them and everything. We're, you know, just... Just mention, you know, introductions and getting to know each other more and, you know, learning more about him and everything. So then we took go across the street and go to the FBI headquarters. And that was quite an experience. I never thought I'd be in an FBI headquarters. <laughs> they had steel doors. They hit their fingers on these steel doors and they opened up. I mean, we were in high security. I mean, wow. it was amazing. Yeah, we were scanned and everything. It was, you know, it was big. So there's, there's. Warren Gettler, my dad, and me sitting there at a table, and across the table from us was three other agents. Uh, what was the name? Yeah, go ahead. Sure, sure. Uh, well, they already, well, we already know. It was Jake, Jake Archer, and Katie Newton, and Sarah Cadone. Yeah. And we told them pretty much everything we just told you right up until now. You know, we presented them with all the uh, pictures and videos and everything we had. Not everything, but, you know, the needed to know stuff. Presented them with some of the artif- or, uh, the documents that you obtained. Yeah. And it just blew their mind because there were documents that they didn't even know existed. And they're asking, how did you get this? And your answer was, I'm better than you. <laughs> well, the, uh, um, he, um, he says, Danny, what makes you think the gold is really there? I says, when the, uh, the governor's office in Pennsylvania thinks it's there and some other government officials in DCNR thinks it's there. He goes, what are you talking about? And I slid him something I can't really talk about right here, but I slid him uh, some proof. Uh, let's put it this way. There are people in the government that wanted uh, a percentage of the gold and we were okay to dig after that. Uh, enough said enough said yeah <laughs> there are people in in uh, get, sent us emails over the years telling us just go ahead and dig and uh, if you need help let us know they were other government people we had a lot of offers illegal offers and we don't know if we were being um played for like um uh, somebody wanted to burn us get us in trouble and we we're being set up so our lawyer kept saying no don't do this don't do that Turned down all the offers, but we recorded and videotaped there. So we, yeah, so we, we uh, submitted everything we had, gave it to them, and right there on the table when we're there, submitted everything we had to them, and uh, they said, "All right, we'll look over everything, and it will be months before you hear from us." Like, all right, we figured. Thank you for your time. So we get back in the car and we drive back home. Then 24 hours, Agent Archer's calling, requesting to know exactly where the site's at. 
He wanted to know latitude, longitude, wanted to know all this stuff. So we get the information to him. He says, thank you. He goes, I'll be in touch. Calls back next day, says, me and a crew of agents, about 12 of us, were coming up. We want you to take us to the site. All right. This was two weeks later since our meeting in the FBI. There's snow all over the place. That's a hell of a mountain to climb. It's freezing out there, and they want us to take them up, or so we do. So about Valentine's Day, give or take a day or two, you know, around early February. We go. We meet them. Me, my dad, Warren Gettler came up. We meet these agents. We were told no Finders Keepers logos, nothing, no media, nothing. This is all off the record, hush, hush. DC and Oregon doesn't even know we are disguised as skiers and trail people. That's Tigers. all it is. DC is not supposed to know anything. Wow. Okay, we made, we've been up there a couple of times and they didn't know nothing. So we went up there with these agents and we're sitting there and we used our GPL, the ground paying train locator. And there were copper pins that we, we used. What the GPL is, you hammer these pins into the ground, you run these wires to them, use gator clips to hook to them. They plug into the machine and it uses low voltage electricity. So you have a grid four pins set up and on the machine, you can turn the down. You can shoot electricity from pins one to two and two to three and three to four. It sends electricity out, goes down the pin, goes through the ground, comes up the other pin and comes back to the machine. And it can tell you what's between those two pins, inert ground, water, cave, gold, silver, copper, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And we had these pins that were hammered in the ground that we left there from when we vacated the, pro- the, the, the premises. So we take the machine up there, hook up to these pins, hit the button, got gold readings right off the bat. Everybody's screaming. Everybody's happy. They're taking pictures. We moved to, call, we moved to other pins that we had left there in the ground, hooked up to them, got more gold readings. Took the machine, moved it couple hundred yards away set it up with some other pins got inert ground you know showing that our machine was calibrated properly and it was working so they go back and they said all right we're going to take this information back to headquarters and stuff it's going to be weeks or months before you hear from us all right same thing so we're sitting around we're waiting two days later they call back and says hey we're getting a team to come in, use their equipment at that site. Oh, okay. They said, we'll be there two weeks. But before the two-week period, we are being hit. Every question there is, me and Warren Gettler and Kevin, they wanted to know everything, everything we had, all my drawing records. They wanted to know everything about the KGC from uh, Warren Gettler. They just, every day was just, we're just sending them information, information. They, they, they're, they're doing a lot of research on this until the two weeks. Then go ahead. So they come up, and that's when they rent, uh, contracted out with EnviroScan. And EnviroScan was, came up. And it was just me and my dad. Warren Gettler wasn't there on this trip. Uh, Agent Archer wasn't there. Some other agents. And they used this gravimeter. And it was just a square box. Well, about like almost a foot and a half tall and about... 12 by 12. Yeah. So, and I don't know much about this machine. I guess the army uses it to locate underground mines and all sorts of stuff. From the 1960s, in Vietnam, they've used this thing. So it's been well used by the army for many years. Yeah. And it's supposed to get under the earth's core and all, like it's, well, it's real high tech. Yeah, it's yeah. Real high tech. Yeah. So anyway, we get up there, we showed them where the area was. They used these little surveying flags 
uh, they made a row of them, probably about 25 in a, a row, and about 15 rows. So that was a lot of surveying flags. They take this machine that sits on this base unit. Nobody is allowed to touch it for five minutes. I don't know if it's linking up with satellites or what it does. It's about beyond my pay grade. They took the machine. They put it beside flag number one, let it sit for five minutes. Pick it up, take it back to the base unit, set it down, five minutes. Pick it up, take it to the next flag, five minutes. Back and forth. It took eight hours to do that, those rows. It was forever, and it was slightly raining that day, too. It was a 35 by a 12-foot area. Wow. Yeah, 35 by 12 feet. Yeah. So they do all that. And this is on a Friday. And, you know, they pack up all their stuff and they, they leave. And Agent Archer calls you and says, you know, it's, well, you know, they're going to put their stuff into the computer. They're going to get the readings. When they get the readings back to the FBI, Monday they'll call us and let us know. We're like, all right. So Monday comes around and he calls. I wasn't on the phone call. Yeah. I mean, uh, Warren were there when he called. And, um, Warren was screaming because uh, Jake Archer says uh, the gravimeter come back and Denny, what did you ask or what did you recommend? I says there was two and a half tons of gold, 20, 52 bars. He goes, no, there's over nine tons, seven to nine tons is what the report came back. Oh my and gosh. 90, 99% positive reading. And uh, Warren screaming at the top of his lungs. Then Warren comes back and he goes, what was the, uh, the percentage, the, uh, the, whatever the, uh, the, the calibers, whatever, I guess uh, and most of your metals in the ground are from one to 10 and lead and all that kind of stuff. And he says, what's, what did, what did you guys get? And he goes, 18. There's nothing on this planet other than gold that reads 18. And it all came back as 18, 18 to 19. So it's pure gold. Resitivity. So he says, right now you're looking at seven to nine tons of pure gold. And I go, what about the silver off to the left? Is that just one spot? And he goes, that's one spot. But then he says, Denny, you missed something. I go, what? He goes, there's two more piles of metal off to the right. I go, no, 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 no. I've been there for 13 years. This is what I believe DCNR or somebody planted in the road to mess up all these damn readings. So I said to him, I says, where the silver's at? What are you getting? He goes, iron. I go, no, no, don't tell me that because that's I've been drilling that for years. That's silver. I says, then the silver is underneath the iron. Somebody put iron here. Somebody put iron there and there. So that's when the uh, FBI was coming in. They made a statement after the first day of digging. There's an ongoing investigation. They had to check out what was put in the ground uh, recently to mess up my readings and who did it. Was it the state? Uh, did they get any money? That's what all this was all about. And they asked us to keep quiet. But uh, go ahead, Kim. I'm sorry. No, no, you're doing fine. I'm just keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> and, so, so you know, they, they confirmed that they were able, you know, Agent Arch confirmed that they were able to get a warrant signed to come in and override the state. He said, you guys are going to, he said, this is an FBI operation. You guys will be allowed to be there as guests. Do not bring anything that says finders keepers. Don't wear anything finders keepers. This is not a finders keepers treasure hunt. This is a FBI operation. Understood. Understood. You know, like I said, we want to be there. It's our 15 years of hard work. We just want the recognition for it. We just want to see what comes out of the ground. We want to make sure it goes to where it belongs and that it's not going to be stolen. 
that's all right. And uh, so they they you know wanted us to put all these trail cameras up. You mean you go you know you want you we want you up there checking that site every day. Like they were you know very persistent on us securing that site and making sure nobody was going to go in there and dig. I mean it sat there for all these years. Now all of a sudden they're jumping the gun and want things done. When it, when it was two and a half tons, no major. It's only 12, you know, FBI and a backhoe is supposed to do this. Then they cut uh, Enviroscan says over nine tons of gold. Now everybody's going nuts. Now they, they want Kim and us to go every day, check the site, put all these extra cameras up. I mean, they're going nuts. Go ahead. Actually, I, I just want to say one thing before you continue uh, for the audience listening, because I, I don't know if everybody has a quite a great grasp as to what a ton is as far as weight goes. I mean, if you're talking about nine tons, you're talking about over 18,000 pounds of gold. So so everybody can just understand, like your average car probably weighs about 2,000 pounds. We're talking about 18,000 pounds of gold. That is insane. Go, carry yes. on. I'm sorry. I just I just wanted to clarify that to the audience because we have an international audience and they might understand more of the, the poundage than the tonnage. It, it's a lot. So we're going up there. You know, we put more trail cameras up there. We're going up there. We're checking the site every day, just like they asked us. And I went up the day before that they were supposed to be there. They said we're going to be there on this date, March 13th. Yeah. I went up March 12th to make sure everything was still legit. Make sure like, cause it's a, there's hunting cabins up there and they rent them out. And I want to make sure that there wasn't going to be a lot of people and causing confusion and hectic, you know, I go up there and the confusion and the hectic was already there because the FBI showed up a day before. And I'm like, what's going on? And I get stopped by agent Archer and he's like, Oh, well, we're just, we're just setting things up. We're just, we're, you know, we're just getting things ready for tomorrow. All right, that could be true. And he's like, all the I told myself about bumping into trail cameras. He goes, Oh, don't worry about where he took care of all. Somehow he knew where we put all the cameras at that we just put up there a week prior. I'm like, all right. He goes, you know, did your dad have 12 cameras? I said, I guess. I don't know. Sure. So we come back and I, you know, told him because he was going to meet Warren Gettler at the airport to bring them in. I told him what was going on and Oh, okay. And uh, so we had an agreement to be up there the next day at 8 a.m. Same thing, no finders keepers logos because this vehicle has finders keepers on and stuff. We go up in my little, I had a 2013 Mazda hatchback, little compact car. Me, him, my dad, and Warren Gettler drive up there in my car and uh, FBI police everywhere. They have the uh, the bottom portion of the mountain roped off with crime scene tape and you know, p- police line do not cross all this stuff. Go to get out of the vehicle and we get stopped by the FBI police and we, all right, well, this is who we are. You know, Mr. Agent Archer Torres, we could be here. Oh, no, no. Just for right now, just stay in your vehicle. I'll let them know you're here. So we sat in the vehicle. Long story short, we sat in this, my vehicle for seven Six and a half, hours. six and a half, seven hours. Yeah. And we did see Agent Archer throughout this time. You know, we did talk to him. He he told us we're getting things set up, which I thought you're supposed to get things set up the day before. But he's like, we're getting things set up, and you know, there's not a lot of room up there, and there's it's pretty crammed. You know, just stay in your vehicle here. We'll let you know when it's time. Well, so six and a half, seven hours. We go to get out of the car and stretch. There's a porto potty there, 
And anytime we got out to go to use this bathroom, FBI police jumped out and where are you going? Where are you, you're not allowed to leave. You can't, we're just going to the bathroom. So anyway, this one time we get out and we're standing there stretching and we see this lady walking down the road towards us. And as she gets closer, we automatically recognize her as WTAJ reporter. I can't remember her name right now, but she knew who we were. She recognized us. Now, swear to God, we didn't call. We didn't notify. We, you know, we did what the FBI asked. We didn't notify anybody. But somebody called the FBI. Sure did. Somebody called the news company and told them what was going on. So she gets close to us and she goes, hey, I recognize you. You guys are finders keepers. You could snap your fingers. FBI police were on us, grabbing yeah. us. Not allowed, you know, they were kind of yelling at us, like accusing us as the ones being the ones that called the news reporters. We're like, we didn't call anybody. And they escorted us behind the crime scene line into this green tent. They, you know, we got the third degree. You were told you're not allowed to talk to anybody. You weren't allowed to. We're like, we're doing what you asked. We're just, you know, pawns here, apparently. And then we kind of got a little snippy back saying, this is ridiculous. You told us to be here at 8 a.m. And you've had us confined to our car for six and a half hours. It's 30, 40 degrees out there. The car's been running nonstop. It's, what's happening? He goes, well, all right, well, now it's time. Let's go up the hill. Okay. So we start walking up this mountain. It's about a good three-quarter, almost a mile hike up this mountain. And we get up there. And there's about 35 agents up there. They're everywhere. There's an excavator. You know, we were told there was no room to walk or anything, but you got all these agents everywhere and they're just doing their thing. And we noticed that they've already dug a hole, but they dug off to the side where the, the iron was supposed to be yeah. at. Mm -hmm. And I, the whole thing was the iron there was only supposed to be down about three to five feet. So they dug down, confirmed that the items were down three to five feet, showing how accurate the readings were. So there, when they got to the gold and it said it was down 12, eight to 12, eight to 12 feet, they knew exactly how far to dig. So we get there and they go to move the excavator over to what they call as the honey hole. Our spot. Yeah. Our spot, right where the gold's at. And they start digging down. Finally, we're like, here it is. This comes the moment of truth. You know, they're digging down, they're digging down, they're hooking, scooping out the dirt and they're dumping it. And I look, and after spending years with this knucklehead, I can start <laughs> detecting things that he does, like his camouflaged cameras. And I'm looking, I'm like, hey, there's one of your cameras. They said they got all of them. They're getting ready to bury it. As they're pushing the dirt, digging our hole, they're pushing the dirt. Close to I'm, the hillside. Yeah, and I'm like, Kim, they're going to bury my camera. And Kim says, what are you going to do? I said, so I, 35 agents, and they're split in half. 15's with us. 15s at the other side with DCNR. They keep me and DCNR apart at this time. And I put my hands up. I stop the uh, excavation. I walk over. I grab a pile of leaves. And I come back. And I, the agent's right next to me. I hand it to him. And he looks at it. And he looks at me. And it was a camera inside the leaves. And he says, fucking genius. And he handed me the camera. And he goes, how the hell did you do this? I hand it to Kim. The machine is taking his picture while he's holding it and other people documenting that I gave it to him. Mm -hmm. I gave it to Kim. In a so, sense. Go ahead. So, yeah. You know, so he hands it to me and we're like, all right, cool. You know, we have the camera. And so I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, well, he thought he could, you know, the, the agent said he got all the cameras. And I didn't know how many cameras were there. And so I'm talking with him and he's like, oh, I think, I think that's all the cameras. I can't remember. 
so we, you know they start doing digging and doing their thing and they got down about six seven feet six, maybe, seven maybe feet, eight yeah. max and they said hold up stop 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 archer yells i'm like what it's four o'clock in the afternoon he goes we've been here all day we're cold we're hungry he says we're gonna pack it up for the night and we're like you know you've only got like three four more feet to dig he says no we've been here we said we're gonna go back to the hotel you guys go home get a nice night of rest we're going to come back here tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. We'll yep. come up this hill together and we'll start digging right here where we left off. Yep. Were his exact words. Yep. All right. Us still being uh, hopeful and gullible and everything. We're like, all right. So we left. Went down. Got in the car. Me and my dad and Warren got there and we left. Came back to the house. It's like the night before Christmas. Again, part two. You know, we're like, oh, tomorrow's the big day. Tomorrow's the big day. We get up, we drive up there. It was snowing briefly, nothing major, a few snow flurries. We get up there and uh, we get stopped. Hold on, hold on, you know, Agent Archer's there. He's got dirt on his knees of his jean or his uh, khaki pants and everything. And he, he cut himself somehow. He was bleeding. We're like, what's going on? He says, I'm having a problem. We're running into problems with uh, DEP and DCNR and the hole filled up with water and you know, they, they, we got to find a way to get the water out of the hole. And it's a big stink. He goes, just stay in your car and stay warm. Oh, okay. All right. So we sit there and we're pondering what's going on. And five, six hours later, we're in that car for five to six yep. hours. Yep. And DCNR was behind us and they were in their car for five to six hours. They weren't even allowed up that mountain. Wow. No way. So we get done, you know, well, we get out of the vehicle and what's going on now. You know, we had all these big trucks and satellite trucks, and they've had these side-by-sides, you know, the uh, UTVs and stuff like that. They're run up and down the mountain. So they had probably about three or four of those there. And uh, we're sitting there, and we finally get out of the car, and we start you know, kind of raising a, a stink again. We're like, hey, it's been five, six hours. We're not doing this again. What's happening? And Agent Archer says, all right, let's go up the hill. We're getting ready to dig the last three feet. I go, yes, all right. So we so we walk up there, and the day before, all these FBI agents were talkative. They're you know they're cheering, you know talking, being nice and friendly. We get up there, they're all stone faced. As we're walking up, we're you know, hey, good morning, how's it going? Nobody would respond to us. Nobody was talking. It was like they were ordered, don't say anything, keep your mouth shut. It was kind of weird. It was eerie feeling. They're in a circle around the hole. Side by side, like a wall, the whole way around that uh, hole, there was a circle of FBI agents. It was r- ridiculous. They opened up a crack so we could squeeze in. This is crazy. So we walk in, and uh, I looked in the hole, and the first thing I noticed was the size of the hole. The day before, it was seven, eight foot deep, and then I had three, 12 foot by 12 foot. Yeah, but the walls were square. When we left the day before, you had four square walls. When I come back, I had three square walls, but the other one was tilted. It was like it was backfilled. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? But it was about seven feet deeper. We're going up to dig the the next three feet. We go up and we find out somebody's already went down 13 feet. They lied to us. They were 13, 16 feet deep. Yeah, it was deep. So the size of the hole was the first thing I saw. The second thing that I noticed was that there was no water. Yeah, that hole was not full of water. 
there was no water pump that was ever taken up that hill to pump the water out of this hole. If they would have used the, the excavator, the bucket to scoop the water out and dump it, I looked around, there was all still fresh snow. There was no signs of water being dumped anywhere. I mean, this is when I started, I'm like, we're getting lied to. There's a lot of lies going around. Like, what the heck? So we get there and what did, uh, what did it was said to you? Well, the, Kim and uh, Warren was ahead of me looking at the whole, like I, they opened up a, two men got out of the way so we could step into the circle. And uh, then I, I was the last one in and I looked down in there and Archer's part, Jake Archer says, Denny, look in the hole and tell me what you see. I looked down in there and I says, I don't see anything. He threw his arms up. He goes, that's it, everybody. Let's go home. There's nothing here. And I go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. And he goes, what? I said, there's nothing here now. It doesn't mean there wasn't something here yesterday or last week. He goes, oh, don't you start. Don't you start, Mr. Parada. And I, I kicked in the high gear. They didn't think I would do this. I, I started yelling at him in front of 35 agents. You're the one that wouldn't let us have any people on site while the dig happened. You're the one who won't let us have our equipment up here before the dig. There's a lot of things that don't add up here. And I'm yelling at him, Mr. Prada, do you see any gold? No, I don't see any gold. But then there's no gold. Did you remove any gold from this hole? Yes or no? He wouldn't answer. I said, did you find any gold down there? He says, did you see any gold? He looked, Kim, did you see any gold? No. Well, then you got your answer. No, you tell me. Till this day, he's never told us he didn't. Yes or no? None of the nobody in the FBI government and I never answered that question to my lawyer. Nobody. They won't say yes or no to the answer. And even at one point when we asked him, what did you take out of the hole? And he says, I'm not telling you that it's none of your business. So I says, you had to find some kind of metal. We have a uh, pig iron bleeding out. I, I broke into cast iron containers. Denny, nothing was here. I says, well, then I'm going to come back because I got a lot of research. Do I got to figure He says, no, you don't come back. You're not going to do anything. This is done for he says, you have to take your garbage we found off the hilltop. I looked over, what garbage? The first day, they pulled out my art, those copper pins. We lost camera. There we go. Yeah, okay. my, my phone just said 20% battery life left. So okay, I, I had the copper pins in the ground eight feet long for the GPL to shoot electricity. I had two of them where the gold was at, but I had six where the silver's at. Now, the first day of their digging, they pulled two of my copper pins out of the ground and they were laying there with some plastic pipe. And they asked me, are these your copper rods? I go, yeah. On day two, when we came back, there was six of them laying in the junk pile. And I'm looking, I'm like, where'd all these copper rods come from? So I says to him, Jake, are you going to dig in the silver area? He goes, Denny, we don't have time for that. We're going home. We're filling the hole and we're done. And I kept saying to myself, well, they had to dig in the silver area because there's there's only two pins in the gold area. So uh, we actually we got down off the hill. There was a lot of suspicion. Something was going wrong. Nothing made sense. At yeah, at this yeah. point, we were walking down the hill. Right. We were told we had to walk down the hill. And as we got down the hill, there Warren Geller starts walking towards the green tent, the same green tent we were in the day before that we were told to go into. And as he gets nearby it, the agents start yelling. I says, "Don't you go near that tent." He goes, you stay right here. Don't you're not allowed to go near that tent. And Warren's like, why? He goes, don't treat me like I'm a dog. Like what? Yeah, what? And we, <clears throat> excuse me, we get down there, and I'll never forget these words. As we were just at the uh, the do not police line, do not cross, and we were 
<coughs> going on the other side of it. Agent Archer looks at us and goes, I'm telling you right now, you don't go to the media. You put nothing on Facebook. You put nothing online. You tell nobody nothing that happened here. And he says, if you do, there'll be serious repercussions. And then he turned and pointed at me and says, and you got your law enforcement career to worry about. I went to the Municipal Police Academy in 2009. I've been active law enforcement clear up until this point, you know, 10 or 10, 11 years at this time. And those were that, that statement was made to me and I was just flabbergasted. So when Jake was walking, walking away after he made that statement, I said, Jake, uh, he told us to keep quiet until the investigation was done. I said, well, how long is it going to take for the investigation? He turned around and he goes, I have no idea, Denny. And he walked away. That's the last I spoke to him. And we waited a year for the, something to happen. Our lawyer says, uh, what's happening with the investigation? Of course, it's, you know, with DCNR, whoever did the digs and the offers and all that stuff. And we don't hear nothing back. So my lawyer contacts uh, uh, Newton and she wants to know what's going on and stuff. And they deny any of this happened. And uh, who's that? Who's the senator? Uh, senator Arlen Specter. No. Uh, that was the other one. Pat Toomey. Pat, Pat Toomey got in. He says, I'll find out. And they said, there's nothing in their files. This didn't happen. And Pat Toomey says, you spent a half a million dollars in three days. You better have something when I come back. And now they came back and they said there's over 3,000 pages, 17 hours of video, thousands of photographs in the files. Wow. Yeah. But they won't release anything. Now, we got the legal rights to see all that. We beat them in court. We're supposed to get all those files. The FBI says it'll take them four years. And uh, that's what the, the fight's been over. We, we're, we're going through courts now in the next couple of weeks to speed things up. Um, All right. So, what, what, I mean, 17 hours of footage. What could they have recorded for 17 hours? Digging. That's digging. that's well, what it is. Now, see, my cameras are running full time. I record 15 minutes of their cameras for 15 minutes video. They have a camera crew on the site, the FBI. I show 15 minutes of recording time. They come up with 17 hours. I'm like, Jesus, what the hell did they record? Yeah, well, that was day one, you know. It had to be there all night. Every bar, every coin, everything that came out of the ground had to be videotaped and photographed. Yeah. All right. So I, I, I know one, your your phone's dying and I know you got to run cam here in about 10 minutes. Yeah. And so I, I don't want to, I, I got I to gotta ask a couple of questions here real quick. Um, one, uh, I'm assuming, because at first I was thinking FBI rogue agents, but I'm assuming it's more FBI rogue than rogue agents individually. And um, I, I want to ask about the camera for a second. But before I do that, real quick, uh, Kem, I didn't know you're active law enforcement now. How does this whole thing sit with you being a law enforcement officer? Do, it, it, is this like a whole new perspective that, that you're, you're getting that you never knew even existed? It was possible before? Or were you, did you ever hear rumors of, yeah, the FBI does crazy stuff like this? Well, I mean, I've always heard rumors and the stories like that. I mean, I'm just small town borough you know police and stuff like that nothing major and it's like i was never one for the the whole illuminati conspiracy and all this other stuff you know but i i'm just seeing more and more of like the kgc you know this whole underground organization that a lot of people don't know existed but there's documents and this stuff is coming to light and i'm like holy cow this might be true you know like i, yeah. I was never one for the illuminati or the the uh new world order and all that stuff i mean 
seeing is believing and I'm slowly seeing more and more stuff. Kem, I think you and I are around the same age. Were you born in 85? Yes. Yeah, me too. So I think you and I could be really good friends, buddy. I, I, I think you and I could I could have some conversations with you that you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> but yeah. Um, all right. So the, I wanted to come back right real quick to the camera, though. Uh, you mentioned you saw your camera. They missed the camera because they, they said they got all the cameras and stuff. I, I, I maybe it's over. It's going over my head. What was the significance of that part of the story? Because you're like, because want you handed it to somebody and like you're a freaking genius. Was it that you were you were ca- you caught them? you know, digging up the gold with that camera or what? I got thousands of pictures of the uh, dig from the day before when they showed up the whole way. It shows everything. The lawyer says, oh, my God, did you give that to the FBI? Because obviously they have to know about this. I says, I handed it to him. He goes, can you prove it? I said, it took his picture, his face. And he gave it to me. He says, he gave it to you. And you told him it was a camera. He goes, they're all legal. He says, thank you. And we have more of them up in the trees and they're all legal. Everything was legal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There was some, there was some up in the trees that I was not aware of that he hid and they got pictures. Everything the FBI people were denying. Uh, I proved a year later when I started releasing these pictures, they said they, they couldn't dig very deep. They went down 13 feet. You could see the excavator going down. I mean, it's a huge hole. They so, tore that whole place. So up. You, they, you literally got footage of all that stuff. Yes. And so that that's why when we were talking before, you're like, yeah, we're we're going to win this one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, we have pictures of the night before, you know, before dig day one of them up there overnight, walking around with bulletproof vest on and carrying ARs. Oh, yeah. That, the whole mountaintop was sealed off them. You had 70, 70 some there. agents, 70 some FBI agents, the cars down below 30, some 35 of them from all over the United States tags, and they had that mountain surrounded. The, the thing is, we found out a month, a couple, three, four months later, a couple weeks later, and things started to fit together after the dig, and uh, people were calling us up and telling us, did you know they dug all night? And we go, what? We They had jackhammers all night, and the, the quads are running up and down, she said, and they're filling up the back of these SUVs all night. They're loading stuff from the mountain. She said, uh, day one, she goes, when you guys all left at four o'clock, she goes, they came back at 7 p.m. and dug until three, two, three in the morning. Which she goes, I heard them using the jackhammer, and they did have a jackhammer attachment for that excavator. Yeah. It was up there. And the thing is, after the dig happened, and we didn't know it, day two, we're sitting in our car. We didn't know it. The first convoy comes through at eight o'clock in the morning behind us. We didn't see it. And it goes to Hicks Run and it loads up. All these SUVs are loading up something into these armored trucks. And that, we, didn't know, we didn't know anything about armored trucks until people around us started saying, Didn't you see all the armored hum- Humvees? Didn't you see the armored trucks and all the Humvees? Like, what are you talking about? And we kind of established a timeline that they were moving this stuff around when they had us confined to our car. They wanted us in certain locations, so we saw nothing. At six o'clock at night, after the dig, at nighttime, another convoy came in. They sit at an armored truck at the Valley Farm Market for five hours. The FBI's in and out all day talking to these guys. It's drawing all this attention. Five hours, and then it takes off. And with the convoy, goes to Dench Run. They shut down the roads into Dench Run. They make people go back in their homes, don't come out. And they have the armored trucks in front of the green tent loading up. Who does this stuff? I mean, uh, the armored trucks are coming after they dig, when they supposedly didn't find anything. 
and they're making people stay in their homes and they shut the roads down. There's a lot to this this whole thing wow. that's wrong. There's a lot wrong, definitely. Guys, listen, I'm gonna we're gonna cut it here because I know we okay. have to, but I, I we gotta talk again because I, I have so yeah. so much, man. So much questions. But listen, before we get out of here, I wanna give you an opportunity to let people know where can they find you guys online? Is there social media you want them to follow, a YouTube channel or, or whatever you want to promote right now as far as people to find information about you guys or whatever, go ahead. This is the time. Well, we do have a YouTube page. It's Finders Keepers USA. Uh the old man prospecting is our logo. Uh, we do have Facebook, Finders Keepers uh, page. We have multiple pages. We set a page up on fi- um, Facebook for every site we do. So if you search Dench Run, you should find it. Uh, Finders Keepers does have its own page. We're not too active on that. We do have a website, finderskeepersusa.com. You can uh, go there and check out our stuff. We don't update it regularly. It's... <laughs> Web design is beyond my pay grade again, <laughs> so it it needs severely updated too. But the last guy that did it has it's locked, and I can't change it, and I can't get contact with the guy to make a uh, edit. So we are looking for a new web design if somebody is interested and would like to take a stab at it for us. Can I hit you with an update? Yeah, uh, we uh, since then we've located the people who put all that gold in at Dentron KGC. We found their headquarters in Quihanna, Pennsylvania. We've been here for two and a half years working with DCNR. We have located what we believe is hundreds of guns underground, in chambers, cannons, cannonballs, thousands of cannonballs, dead bodies, Union soldiers. We have all this. We've been trying to get it dug up the last 30 days. We're trying to get the governor down there. But we found the KGC headquarters and you, you have no idea. And we believe that this is the site that the Southern, the South was trying to get to. Because if they could have got beyond Gettysburg and made it to this headquarters, they would have had enough ammunition and cannons and stuff to turn the war around. And the wow. gold, uh, dense run. Uh, besides that, uh, uh, and with this note, we can talk. The, uh, the FBI didn't get all the gold at dense run. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, we, we can we can talk about this in part two if you Late want. Yes. Agent Archer on site said to me, Denny, you're staring up at that mount. What are you looking at? I said, there's another cave up here with just as much gold. He goes, where is it? I said, Jake, you screw me on this one. You won't get the other one. And since the last three years, we've been keeping our mouth shut. Wow. Okay. We are. We plan on going back this spring. Yeah. So this whole thing's going to happen again. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show. You know what? I know you enjoyed the show. I don't have to ask if you enjoyed the show to please share the show. I know you enjoyed the show. It had paranormal. It had government cover-ups. It had the mysterious. What was there not to like? If you didn't like this show, I strongly, strongly question if you even listened to the show. So since we all know that we all enjoyed the show, just share the show with your friends, family. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it because that's the best thing you could do to help this show grow. And we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thanks, friends, for showing up every week to listen to another episode. And until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first, it'll piss you off. Bye. Awakened from the forest in the depths of the abyss, this creature is a paradigm of time lost and time itself. It fears no one. It adheres to no rule that man can create. It forges its own path, and yet its path remains hidden from the world. 
The sphere of his existence is beyond most comprehension as it exudes its power quietly but transcendent. It needs no one's approval to exist, but yet its very existence is sought after by many. It watches. It learns. Adapts to the ever-changing environment around it, even as the environment is wrought with corruption. It battles the corruption only when pressed or for the protection of others like it. It is a mirage that few will ever understand. It's a cornucopia of knowledge from an era long past. It's free. It's Bigfoot. My fantasies always consisted of making it big. My soul was nothing more than a bargaining chip. Marketing is what they tell you to do and what you're willing to give. Larking to the fullest extent. I don't wait, I shoot first like Han on a rodeo. And these people don't understand me like reading a Nokian. Stretch thin, like pulling an accordion. My heart ain't primordium. All these historians telling us lies. Setting aside everything is medicalized. Politicians selling the ride. I better my die where the relevance lies. They dress in a light. Reptilians. My resilience is brilliant. I'm here to lead the rebellion on hellion, salient, alien with no melanin. 